Hello there. Welcome back, or indeed, welcome to Ben's Learning Lounge. I haven't put out one of these bad boys in, I think, over a year and a half now, uh, which is insane. I mean, so much has changed in my life in that time. I'm older now, I suppose, wiser, more hairs on my chinny chin chin, maybe. Might even be taller. Uh, probably not with that one, actually. But it's great to be back. You'll notice I've got a new song playing in the background, which is a Ben's Learning Lounge original. Uh, some new art, and of course, more importantly, new brilliant guests to have on. Really, it's going to be one hell of a season, so I'm very much looking forward to it. It's great to be back on this project. I should be aiming for one of these weekly. We'll see how that flies. Hopefully that's not too optimistic. For today's episode, I'm going to be talking with Mr. Fraser White. I've been so happy to get this guy on the podcast because I've known him for, God, it must be like 12 years or so now. Uh, he's an expert in all things forestry. Now, before you click off from hearing that, I can promise you there is so much in this podcast that you wouldn't even believe. We touched on things like the British rainforest, huge underground fungal networks, the timber industry, the death of the native forest, and even things like how to build a forest, and so much more. It was insane. Fraser himself graduated from university with a first in environmental and forest management. He's worked on a bunch of woodland estates doing plenty of things like tree planting. He now works as an assistant forest manager in one of the UK's biggest forestry companies. And he co-authored a published journal article and contributed to a couple of international forest science conferences. So he's a force to be reckoned with in the forestry industry. Again, I'm sure you're going to love this episode. It's great to be back. And without further ado, I'll let Fraser do the talking. So Fraser White, welcome to the podcast. Pleasure to be here, Ben. Thank you very much for inviting me into Ben's Learning Lounge. It's a, it's a joy, honestly. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a pleasure to have you on. For those who don't know, Fraser is actually a friend of the show. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's actually been a long-standing fan since the start. He's been supporting me on this project. So obviously, Fraser, I want to thank you for that and oh. also being a listener yourself. Absolutely. No, it's a, hence why it's a pleasure. Uh, really excited and nervous to be here. So yeah, hopefully I'll do it justice. Well... I think the topic of, of today's conversation is certainly different and one which I find quite interesting. So obviously the, the topic today is is trees, including the timber industry. Now, what I found interesting as well was, was when you first presented that to me as, as an idea for conversation, you know, I was sort of like, well, how exactly can I make a podcast, uh, you know, a 45 minute podcast just based on trees? But the more it sort of sat with me and the more sort of I contemplated on the idea of, of nature and arbor and fauna and industry of timber all that I honestly don't really have much an idea of you know I'm not aware of for example the forests of the UK and, and what's that like or even the sort of trees that get used in timber production things like this I've, I've never even given a single thought to before so I'm actually really excited to, to do this and and it's really going to open up a new world for me so I find you as a, as a good beacon of knowledge here so tell me a little bit about your role then and, and the timber industry as a whole because that's sort of more where your line of work focuses right more on the industrial sort yeah. of industry side as opposed to the ecological side yeah and also what is the separation between those areas too well that's a quite um that's a really interesting point um because because some would argue that with trees, because they're a sort of multi-purpose thing, there's not as much of a separation as people think. So I work in commercial forestry. Now, that's basically your timber sector in a nutshell. So um, I'm an assistant forest manager. I'm the manager side. I'm on the management side. So I'm office based a lot of the time. But I do get to spend a lot of time out in the field as well. So my role is a lot of planning and supervising all the operations that help grow timber forests. Forests that in the end are going to be often cut down for timber um so th this is sort of a naive question by the way but just just to get this in while we're in the early stages so i don't look like an idiot later is 
is timber just another word for wood or is it like a specific kind of wood yeah basically timber is just wood i guess all, all the all the dead tree that gets turned to wood products i guess gosh i never even thought about it i should <laughs> I never, I, you know, you use a word all the time. You never think about what it means. Exactly. Yeah. Oh. I, I, to me, I, I never think about the yeah. word timber. Like I just, the only time yeah. I think of the word timber is when a tree's about to fall on a lumberjack. You know. No. Oh, yeah. And if that, if in that situation, if that thought isn't in your head for much long, much longer. Surely, it's like a, <laughs> there's a lot of a, there's a lot of there's a lot of messed up lumberjack here. Let's sort that out. Yeah. So within your industry, what, what exactly does that evolve then? Because you mentioned that a lot of it involves managing and, and supervising, but what exactly is it that you do manage and supervise? Are we talking like plots of, of land that, that have forest land on or, or what does that actually look like? Yeah, it's basically that. Um, the company I work for, we get given stewardship or management of estates. These estates, a lot of the area, some can be open land, some can be grazed as pasture in the rural areas. Some can be um, some, and this is where the this is where the sort of boundary gets muddied. Um, some is managed for ecological purposes. So the idea of a ah. forest that's grown for timber and cut down, and a, and a forest that's managed for ecology and wildlife, it's a little bit blurred sometimes. So my role is um, this forest that is eventually going to be harvested for timber. I supervise and plan all um, potentially harvesting operations, re, uh, new planting and replanting. The, of the forest uh, to make it grow into you know productive forest that can be timber or a wildlife reserve in the future and um i assess the management needs that might do that that could be assessing weeding requirements planting fertilizing stuff like that but also when with this there's a lot of paperwork uh, paperwork that enables timber to be sold paperwork that just cut, you're just cutting the trees down just the right i'm on just it. yeah i'm i'm just i'm just offsetting it a little <laughs> bit yeah also when these operations are being carried out there's a lot of environmental laws that have to be followed a lot of uh, what we call compliance um we have to prevent pollution harm to wildlife and uh, harm to um public access or uh, local residents so there's all that to go through and i've got to basically be on site all the time ensuring that everybody's following the health and safety regs Lots of fun, I know. Mm-hmm. And yeah, uh, but also, um, like I mentioned, uh, a lot of the a lot of areas on these forest estates we manage um, are managed for ecological purposes. So uh, this could be newly planted areas that we manage, or it could be uh, sort of areas of older woodland that have grown on the on these estates uh, in wee tucked away places uh, next to the timber plantations, potentially. And um, I, a lot of my work can be surveying these, finding out the um, finding out the specific ecology of them, the plant communities that live there, and thinking of ways to manage them, making sure that these are preserved and maintained, making sure that the wildlife in these areas and the plants in these areas is protected whilst we're uh, carrying out forest operations uh, elsewhere on the estate. Oh, wow. I like to hear about that sort of more sustainable approach to it as well of analyzing, okay. you know, okay, what exactly are we doing? How are we going to yeah. do it properly? As opposed to just, yeah. you know, going ahead and just chopping everything in sight yes definitely this is again another perhaps naive question but in the uk i I am aware i did find out doing a bit of research before this episode that the uk is about 13 percent forest Mm. and uh, it's actually the the second least wooded country in europe after ireland which i found amazing Uh, when i think about the the uk i think about like you know greenland uh, and that sort of thing but is the forest land in the uk like is it all managed by like government? Is it all managed by private entity? Is there like a solid difference there? Like who actually owns that land and, and how yeah. do you get involved in it? Well, a lot of people, when they think of forest, they think of the Forestry Commission or what it, that, which is the old name for what it used to be called. Um, that's land that's owned by the government that has trees on it, basically. 
So uh, places uh, where where you're from in the northwest, that might be Grisdale Forest mm. or Gisborne Forest, for example. Uh, but people, but that's so that's land that's owned by the government that has forest on it. But that's of quite um, that's the in the minority of the total forest area in the UK. A lot of it is the the majority of it is in the private sector. Now, right, okay. um, yeah. So some of that in uh, some of that is small woodlands owned by community um, enterprises or farmers, farm woodlands. That's a growing, that's a growing sector. But um, a large, a huge amount of it is owned by um, wealthy investors. They may be individuals, or uh, it could be um, uh, through an investment fund. Uh, so the uh, different investments um, combined and invested in an area of land uh, that's used for forestry. So these huge areas um, are often managed commercially to make money. So that involves growing a lot of timber. A lot of the timber forest that you'll see on the horizon, if you were to go out into the uplands, into Scotland, um, if it's a big sort of um, coniferous looking forest, it could be, it will be managed probably, most likely, for timber for commercial purposes. Wow, uh, okay. Uh, I yeah, wouldn't expect it's... it because... In my head, it's yeah. just like, oh, it's all it's all government, and then maybe there's yeah. a, a couple of cheeky forests out there that are for like cutting down. No, you know? it's it's the government do manage a lot of land. More of more of the forest area in the UK is in the hands of private ownership, and indeed, most of virtually all of the new planting in the UK, or the majority of the new planting in the UK, is in done by the private sector. So, h- how yeah. do we manage then? Because if, as we've established, that the UK is only sort of thirteen percent forests. Does that mean that we have a really good timber industry and they're just getting lots of it down? Yeah. Or do we actually have, have we had low forests for a while, so we have to have a really reserved timber industry? Like, where does the UK get its timber from? Well, the UK is actually a massive importer of timber, a net importer of timber. It was huge. I believe uh, at times, I think, um, going back about 10 years, uh, we were one of the biggest net importers of timber in the world. Well, so... Uh, so I, which basically means that we buy in so much more timber than we grow, because we've got a big population compared to a a thirteen percent forest cover, like you say, we do have to buy a lot of it in from the tropics, from the continent, from the America, but that's changing as we're as we're producing more timber as the forestry sector grows, we're um it, it being able to offset that so our net import is getting lower and lower. I think uh. that's really important because UK grown woods um. UK, we can boost the sector in the UK, boost more jobs. The uh, forest certification is actually based in the UK, so we can ensure that it's managed sustainably. We can go into more, more into that later if you want as well. And wood as a building material, for example, uh, can be used really sustainably to produce um, a, a timber-framed house, for example. It uses uh, much less energy and produces much less CO2 than, for example, a, a, um, a concrete-framed building, which, you know, is a... Is a, it, also is a just, one... it also just sounds like it looks nicer, too. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I, I, would, I, would, I would love it if it all uh, if all the houses were made out of timber, you know, like a, a log cabin or something. Even if it's just an internal frame, it's um, it's still uh, it's still a big step in a, a sustainable sustainable building construction. Yeah. Wow, okay. So that, that certainly took me by surprise i didn't know so much of it was uh, yeah. coming from other countries i suppose i shouldn't be yeah. too surprised though because doesn't our like yearly christmas tree come from norway like i yeah. I, I understand that but it's kind of funny to me that you know the uk you know a very proud nation mm. and we're like hey norway do you mind if we could just lend like we don't have a cool have big tree. tree yeah no we don't um it's i think the christmas tree is some I think it's some sort of old agreement, uh, some sort of historical uh, cultural tie that we like to honour. I'm not sure of the specific ins and outs of it. Oh, then, but then yeah, it's I... a, it's an. I 
it, it, it's, it's, I believe it's a Norway spruce tree, the one in Trafalgar Square, the big, the big flagship Christmas tree. But um, most of our Christmas trees in the UK are, um, we do grow a lot over here. And so if the ones you see at your local garden centre or your local farmer's market will probably be grown in the UK. We used to work together and we sold some Christmas trees. Yeah, we sold some Christmas trees. We threw them through that, that really fun net <laughs> That we thing. both that wanted to a... jump in, but we were in trouble. <laughs> we didn't want to get in trouble yeah. with the manager. Oh, no. Yeah, and plus, I'm a bit clumsy. I would never find my way out of that at all. But yeah, there's um, uh, yeah, we we the species we we grow as Christmas trees, uh, Nordman fir, a lot of the time, okay. uh, which are uh, originate from Eastern Europe in the, uh, I think in uh, the mountains of Georgia, and uh, the Fraser fir. No, wow. pun in, uh, no, ironically, yeah. Do you want to uh, explain the truth behind that? Because I'm starting to think that, you know, perhaps uh, you have more <laughs> more in the timber. Perhaps you could be some kind of lobbyist here. Yeah. You know, you've actually got a huge stake. Oh, in the I, I could be. Honestly, I wish I wish I was. It's just it's just it's just sweet irony, to be honest, at this point. Yeah. One of the big Christmas trees is the Fraser fir. It's um, that it, it predates me, I'm afraid, Ben. That's uh, it's got it's got a, it's Latin name is Abies Fraseriae as well. There you go. So. Well. It's it's there you go. Um, that's that originates from the Appalachian Mountains in America, but they're two of the the common st- uh, species that we sell as Christmas trees in the UK. So in the UK, th- here's another question. I suppose is much of our like native trees native to the UK, or are they been purposefully imported from other countries, like ones yeah. that you just see natively in like you know the normal lands? Yeah. Well, uh, that's a really good point. Most the UK has quite a a very small uh, range of native species, oh. even trees that we see all the time. Um, trees that was trees that we see all the time, like a sycamore tree or um, a Norway spruce tree. They're not native to the UK. Uh, when when well, the na- native tree species, quite a controversial subject, right? So, when we say native, we basically mean species that came here after the last ice age and naturally. Anything that's um, after that is basically is considered imported. So yeah, so we only have three native conifer species, and so most of the big conifer forests, especially the ones that manage for timber, is mostly a species called Sitka spruce. Now, uh, Sitka spruce is fifty-one percent of the UK conifer area. Fifty-one. So, so it's just, it just 51%, dominates. Just over half. It dominates, and um, so that uh, of the UK forest cover, if you think of all the woodlands, twenty-five percent of it is Sitka spruce. This one species. Wow. It's not. It's uh, it's not native. It's from originally uh, the Pacific West Coast of America. It was brought over here. Not sure when. I think nineteenth century. And um, since over the 20th century, it's become the dominant species that's planted for timber. There's a couple of reasons for this. It's um, it can, in, in the uplands, specifically where I live in Scotland, um, we have a big problem with deer eating the young trees as they're growing. But Sitka spruce is a bit spiky, a bit unpalatable. So it resists all this. And so it can be quite hardy. It also performs well in quite poor upland soils. And uh, it grows quite quickly. So you can get a good timber tree in about... You know, sort of forty-five years if you if you if you grow it right. Oh, if I'm aware um, about my my limited knowledge of trees, that's that's pretty fast. It's fast. It's it's that forty-five years sounds like ages, but considering that oak trees are often harvested after like hundred and fifty years if they're being managed for timber or hundred years, then it's uh, it's yeah, it's quite it, it is really fast. Uh, forestry is long-term business, 
And yeah, so basically, if you're in if you're in the mountains, if you're in uh, the lakes, the Pennines, or Scotland, even places like East Lanx, close to home, yeah, if you if you if you see like a big sort of conifer forest on the hillside, you might think, oh, that's pine or something like that. But it's it's Sitka spruce. I can pretty much guarantee it. It's uh it's very very commonly planted. Okay. Well, you see, my I was just gonna say that my knowledge of these different trees. I'm gonna be honest with you, Fraser. They come from Minecraft, so I'm not. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, you know, I can think I can yeah. identify a birch. Are they are they whiter? Is that is the Minecraft? Yeah, tree? yeah, it's a bir- silver birch, um, which is a native species to the UK. Is uh, has a sort of whitey this uh, whitey stem to it. Yeah, there you Who go. You said you can't learn anything from video games. Oh my gosh, yeah, I, I, I've learned more more through I learned more through video games than I did through school and college. Hundred <laughs> percent. I mean, that's what that's where I spent most of my time. Of course, you know. <laughs> Yeah, they don't have a good they don't have a good logging simulator yet. I don't think. Oh no! Hey, well, gap in the market. Gap in any the market. Sa- any tech savvy Ben's learning land listen- listeners, you could um, you could uh, maybe outsource it to it's them. A one in know? a million opportunity. Yeah, logging coin. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, another sort of interesting point that that, that I that I was uh, interested in when I was doing a bit of research is there were some claims online that the UK actually has rainforests now that's that to me sounds insane the idea that the uk can have sort of rainforests or i believe i think rainforests i don't know they're like bits of sort of land that almost is self-contained and i'm assuming reasonably moist and things they're kind of like Um, their own little climates yeah yeah kind of is that true um yeah so we do have uh what are called rainforests in the uk um uh so temperate rainforests we think of tropical rainforests when we think of rainforests but temperate rainforests are a thing so that could be the atlantic national park in the usa uh, in washington state or it can be our atlantic oakwoods uh in the in the uk um, they sort of grow up along the west coast. You can get some in the Lake District, um, but they're very prolific around where I live. I live in Argyll and Butte in Scotland. I'm not an ecologist, so my definition might be a bit fuzzy, but it's a, a, a native woodland in the UK that's climate is a native natural woodland uh, that's climate is defined by high levels of rainfall and the sort of maritime climate. Uh, but yeah, it threw me a bit when I first uh, when when I first heard about this. I was at university and uh, got an email from a professor saying, "Okay, uh, on Thursday we're visiting um, we're visiting a rainforest." I was like, "Okay, <laughs> bring my passport then," you know. But yeah, um, that's not that's not you wouldn't expect that to be near Morecambe or anything, would you? No, no. But there it is. And uh, yeah, there's um, these are natural forests generally. Although we have very little ancient, uh, pr- truly natural forest in the UK, forest that has gone untouched by human hands forever. Most of our forest has been managed in some way or planted or, or cut down at some point and has regrown over the, the last millennium. But, um, but these, right. uh, these, these uh, rainforests or native forests are generally as natural as you, you could get them, basically. They've, um, they're sometimes called old growth forests, some of them. And they're yeah they've the trees have basically become their own self sustaining ecosystem over time they've grow they've uh, regrown and become their yeah their own ecosystem the majority of forests in the UK have been sort of cut down or replanted or have been um, it was sort of planted in the last five hundred years so one wouldn't really consider them natural woodlands well actually I I noticed this because when I was looking at pictures of of some of these old rainforests that that you mentioned I was surprised like because I thought 
I suppose I just had a different idea of what uh, an old woodland looked like, you know. But they really do remind me these old these pictures of genuine uh, rainforests in the UK. They remind me of like things you'd, you'd expect from like a fairy tale book. The way they look, they yes. look so enchanting. Like these, yeah. you know, these big trees, yeah. this moss that just covers the entire ground. There's definitely something a little bit more special about them. Um, oh yeah, definitely. I'm also wondering because you mentioned that these these ones are sort of self-sufficient or self-containing or, or whatever the yeah. word you use were so they can manage themselves but you often have yeah. to take a managerial role in a lot of the uh, other types of forests that you work with what is it that needs managing there like what what would happen to these forests oh, if you let yeah. them just do what they do let them grow and then just chop them down this is an important part of the podcast because i've got to basically justify my uh, pay grade here you know <laughs> uh, so yeah, yeah my, managers uh, are listening yeah, uh, I um. So my role is what uh, my company calls management services. This is based planting either new forests or replanting them. So if a forest is uh, cut down, it needs to be replanted. Basically, this is a very difficult process. In fact, it, I should say it's illegal to cut down a forest in the UK without replanting it. So most of my work is restocking. Wow, what? Yeah, if you if you you have to apply for a felling license to cut any trees down in the uk to the government and otherwise it's illegal but when you prevent present your filling license application you have to present your plan to restock the area and so most of my work is doing this because um there's a lot of a for- standing forest over here so that needs to be cut down needs to be replanted when these forests are replanted uh, it's been harvested we uh we we arrange for excavators to come in they will scrape away the debris the branches they will make mounds in the earth they will turn over the soil so that trees can be planted in it and um then it's a case of planting it, basically. My role um, is often like creating planting designs, choosing the species that can go in. Like I mentioned before that we, that a lot of Sitka spruce was planted, but now there's a shift away from that. We have to introduce a diverse range of species uh, that are replanted. Uh, the excavator comes in, it, it, the site is mounded, the trees are planted. But over the years, we have to make sure these are growing okay. We have to make sure that any losses are um are made up over the years we have to make sure that the weeds are controlled we think about we have to control the pests that can feed on these little trees and yeah uh, what what do pests look like in in the world are they just like are they literally just little bugs because yeah. you you mentioned deer before yeah, which really interesting deer because pests, i didn't yeah. know deer are interested in trees deer yeah they just they just bite the stems off because just for food basically but deer and hare they feed on trees but uh, a big problem for us is weevil uh, they're basically tiny, weird uh, bugs, hideous-looking things. That um... yes, I I heard them before described as a giraffe bug, and I can't oh, see that. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. They're um whatever they whatever they look like, they're freaky and hideous, and uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, they're they basically on these young trees. They um, specifically on restock sites. That's sites that have been cut down and replanted. They feed on the little trees, and they um they basically uh with their weird sort of a giraffe uh, sorry elephant looking snout they sort of feed on the on the bark and that can really decimate these small trees honestly and so we uh the, we organize pesticides pesticide spraying to get rid of them we we try to manage our forest sustainably so we avo- we try to avoid we do try to avoid pesticide application both for weevils or for weeds right. as much as we can yeah. but sometimes there's no choice otherwise the whole crop will be decimated so yeah well, otherwise um, it'd be really non-sustainable because yeah that, i suppose that's, just... that's a trade-off isn't it because yeah you don't want to be you don't want to be messing with the wildlife but then again no. if the wildlife prevents the the natural world from becoming sustainable yeah then yeah. it's a bit of a trade-off you have to make so i can imagine there's a lot of 
difficult decisions there to make. That's, that's, that's a very good point, actually, yeah. Weevil aren't really a problem on new plantings. So I've talked a lot about where we replant forests, the ones that are cut down, because uh, that is that that is a lot of the work I do. But um, one of my favorite parts of my job, I get to design new woods. So if there's an open land... Design new woods? Oh, what, love, it's like yes. SimCity. What is this? <laughs> it's it's actually really... It's a really cool part of the job. Basically, um, if there's any open land, like it could be fields, it could be moorland, it could be upland pasture, that a landowner says, hey, I want to plant trees here. Uh, they'll come to um, our company specialised in this new woodland creation. And so we will um, we'll come up with a design for the woodland. We'll come up with a diverse range of species. We'll come up with ways that it can fit into the landscape. And uh, if we get approval from the government, uh, creating a new forest, it takes a lot. It's a lot of hoops to jump through. I'll tell you that. There's a lot of people to consult. A lot of um, a lot of paperwork you've got to fill in. A lot of planning you've got to do uh, to put to to simplify it a lot. But yeah, once that goes ahead, we can supervise ground preparation. That can be turning over the source. We can plant trees. Uh, we supervise the planting itself. We again, and then like the restock sites, we uh, look after the weeds and the uh, the health of the trees over the years as well. So, yeah. That's, wow. Uh, okay. That's that's, that's pretty the, intense. That's the sort of on the ground management that we do. But then, like I say, there's um. So say you've got a big, a massive forest that's going to get cut down for timber eventually. Um, I touched before about forest certification. Yeah. Um. So if you ever buy anything that's got a wood product in it, that could be a book. That could be you know, toilet paper at the supermarket. You might see on the package, it's got like a, a symbol. It looks like a little tree with a tick mark next to it. Yeah, uh, I've seen it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's got FSC next to it. That stands for the Forest Stewardship Council. And that is the body that certifies forests in the UK. Uh, that basically certifies that a wood product, be that timber, furniture, book, uh, paper, that comes from a sustainably managed forest. And so... If we want, if we've got a forest that we're going to sell for timber, if we want to sell that timber in the near future, we've got to prove that our forest is sustainably managed. And right. um, uh, to do that, um, we uh, go through the process of certifying the whole forest. And this is something our company specializes a lot in. Um, we have a really, really uh, successful group certification scheme. And so if we uh, acquire ownership, stewardship of, a, uh, uh, sorry, management or stewardship of a new forest, one thing uh, that I've been doing a lot in the past few months is um, creating a management plan for it. We talk about how we can harvest the timber sustainably following all uh, the, the environmental laws to ensure that no wildlife is harmed, to ensure that no pollution is caused. I'll talk about how there might be um, areas for biodiversity on the on the estate adjacent to these big timber forests that I will think about how to manage and promote the biodiversity and I'll write about that in um I'll write about that a lot and I'll talk about how we consult with the nearby residents how we factor in their opinions on how the forest should be managed you, th- you it's quite holistic that's nice I didn't expect yeah. that to be a part of it it's, yeah I mean before we before we when we start managing a forest we basically go out we basically drop letters around the community we knock on doors we say hey we're going to be managing this how do you think we can do it more sustainably? And so, yeah, uh, once I've gathered all that information, I create a management plan, which is presented to um, a certification body, which will then certify the forest. And then the timber that comes from that forest can be uh, sold as sustainable. It can be sold as FSC certified, which, yeah, it's really important. I got to say, this is brilliant because I don't know if you've ever watched, did you, <laughs> this is silly, have you ever watched the US office? Uh, I've not. I've watched the UK office. I was not a fan. 
Sorry. Oh, oh, oh yeah. you're getting that out there in the public. It's a, contentious, well, it's, a, it's a contentious point of view. That's the I most think. contentious yeah. thing said yep. so far, beyond beyond the yeah. uh, where, where UK trees come from. Um, oh, yeah, there, yeah, yeah. There, there was a moment where where Kevin was asked as a ta- he's the, the the not so smart guy was asked to describe where paper comes from. Yeah. So he spent the whole day trying to. It was a fake task yeah. they gave him, and by the end of it, he said, "You know, when a mummy tree and a daddy tree love each other very much." Yeah. But I feel, I, you know, what's good, like cause he's known as the stupid character, and I was yep. always like, to be honest, I'm on his level of knowledge yeah, so now yeah. i feel like i finally gained you know <laughs> yeah. i finally gained a level up of, of how it works and i'm not surprised as well like the amount of paperwork when you're talking about it now because really what you're doing is it it is like mass terraforming you know there's a lot of work yeah. that has to be done there and if you work, want yeah. it to be sustainable mm. you know you have to sort of almost emulate natural patterns that have existed before human contact with these things and that can't yes. be an easy thing to manage it's not no um there's so many like invasive weeds and species that have come around now that are like a threat to these native woodlands that grow adjacent to the tin plantations not weed yes that's a big one not so much on the forest i manage uh mostly rhododendron's a problem rhododendron and uh rhododendron oh yeah yeah you'll you'll know if you see it it's bait it was um it's 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 sort of an ornamental species but it grows like stink and it base it really affects the abilities of these natural forests to regrow to become self-sufficient self-sustaining and yeah it's a bit of a problem but so there's all these new threats that we have to actively sort of you know manage and sort of get ahead of to promote the biodiversity adjacent to these timber plantations and also whilst um whilst this forest is being harvested or whilst it's being replanted um like i mentioned before i'm on site all the time to make sure that the operators these really skilled guys are you know that again they're skilled they know the job but you've just got to make sure that they're safe you've got to make sure that all the health and safety laws have been followed you've got to make sure all the environmental protection and pollution laws have been followed and then i've got to write i've got to write reports on this to basically prove that it's being followed and all this all the management reports i've done all the uh, initial management plans i've done this gets a this becomes a big audit trail so that when the big certification body like the fsc when they need to prove that our forest is being certified they can come in they can audit it and they can say okay He's done this. He's uh, he surveyed the ancient woodland for biodiversity. He's uh, diversified the species he's going to replant the forest with. He's uh, made sure that everybody's following the all the, the health and safety rules and regs when they're on the harvester machines. You know, it's good. And if if all those boxes are ticked, then our forest is still certified. It's still su- it's a sustainable forest. You know, which I think is important. Yeah, what a huge yet rewarding task. It is. It's, yeah. One of the questions I have there, though, let's say, Fraser, you and your boys are, are working away. You know, you're in the forest. You're, you're doing a bit of planning. Yeah. You know, you've got your blueprints and your hard hat out and you've stood next to Boris yeah. Johnson for a promo shot and you're pointing at pictures of trees, right? Oh, oh yeah, what yeah, stops? Yeah. What stops yeah. me, uh, little old Ben, from just sort of walking up with, uh, I don't know, with an axe and just going at things? Like, do, do you guys have, with these privately owned bits of land is it obvious that they're privately owned like are, are there like restrictions around it like that stop people yeah. going in or can i actually just can i just walk in and just do what <laughs> i like i mean so you you can te- where i live in scotland you can technically walk into it into it basically there's a re- thing called a right to roam which is where you can right basically yeah you can basically access all areas of the countryside but a lot of our forests, when there's active operations going on, we'll uh, we'll close it off. We'll lock the gates. We'll put up signs. We'll basically say it's hazardous to your health if you come near here. You know, it's um, 
Oh. It's you, 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 I would really advise you don't come in here, but yeah. And a lot of our forests, although they're in remote locations, some of them are like close to A roads or footpaths or mountain biking tracks or small villages. And so you get people coming in. Um, one of my sites that uh, has just been cut down, being uh, the ground preparation taking place. So what I said before about the excavator digging up the soil to replant the trees with, um, that's, that's quite hazardous operation. It's really dangerous. And if you're on the wrong side of the excavator, and but oh, yeah. so I've uh, I've put up signs. I've um, saying please don't come in here. I've written to the um, to local authorities to close off the footpath. And but you still get people coming in, and I can't be there twenty four seven trying But I still find that interesting though, and almost I I suppose when you guys are working away, it, it is a much trickier affair. But I still yeah. kind of like that idea, right? Of people can just can just walk into the natural land privately owned or yeah. not and just kind of yeah. enjoy it. It, it, yeah, there's there's a few exceptions to the whole right to roam law, and it's quite a I guess it's quite an archaic uh, system, but yeah, it's quite um it's quite a beautiful thing, and it's why a lot of people love to go on sort of wild camping and on hiking in Scotland. So yeah, you can um you can cycle through you can cycle through a lot of the forest, you can walk through them, you could um you can sample the biodiversity of the the wee natural reserves we've got going on there that we manage. It's yeah, it's it, you you can do that. Oh, I remember when. I remember when I was at school and we got to go to the Lake yeah. District and the, the woman who was leading our small group, she was like, oh, you really got to try these, like, I don't know what they were, like bits of cress or something oh, that God. were growing next yeah. to a tree. And she was like, yeah, you got to you got to try them. She says they taste like apple. I know. And, yes. Uh, yeah. 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 So I, we all got really excited and, and we all started having some. Yeah. <laughs> and later that day, oh, how do I put it in a nice way? It, there was hell coming out of both ends, Fraser oh, White. Oh, no. Oh, no. Right. <laughs> so the weed you're talking about there is a thing called wood sorrel uh, or oxalis. And your teacher is right. It tastes, if you if you bite into the stem, right, it tastes like um, sort of apple or a sort of like sour cranberry. It yeah. It's so, it's, it is good. But uh, it's it grows in like forests that are actively managed a lot of the time. So that some that might have footpaths cut through them, some that might have been harvested for timber, some that might about to be replanted. Yeah, it grows on sort of disturbed ground, basically, and it's nice. It's I I know people that have like um sprinkled it on that like um have made like a pork roast with like apple sauce and like yeah. wood sorrel sprinkled on. You know, it's a popular thing. But uh, where there's forests, where there's forests, there's <laughs> there's pesticides, there's dogs who do their business. Oh yeah, man. There's yeah, there's a whole there's a whole. Uh, there's a whole plethora of things that could have been uh, that could have entered your stomach that day, my man. Um, yeah, well, because we didn't wash them, you know, oh, like no. there was no washing process. I mean, it was just like pick up, eat. Yeah. T- to be fair, I I don't I I don't um I I don't I I, I what, so yeah. you and the boys when you're working on site, like you don't just go next to a tree and go ooh and like wiggle your fingers and go I wouldn't mind some of this. I, we we no no we we do we just don't wash it. Uh, it's not. It's not as common in. Um, it's not as common in Scotland. But when I worked, I worked on a state in England when I left the uni, and it was all over the place there. And I was just, I was munching on it like it was like iceberg <laughs> lettuce. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. it's good stuff. It's cool. Yeah. That's that's a better. Hey, if anyone's thinking about working in the industry, free lunch. Free lunch. Yep. 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 There's a. There's even books out there that tell you the fungi you can eat and stuff. I'm not even. I've not delved into that world. I don't trust myself that that much you know it's uh no, I, I don't um, trust the fungi you 
Yeah, you're 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 one bite away from a terrifying trip, surely. <laughs> I think so yeah. as well. Yeah, it, yeah, I can imagine some species look like other species, and you know. Oh yeah, 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 definitely. So another thing I wanted to ask too is when I was doing a bit of research for this episode, I discovered a little bit about sort of the world of the tree network underground, mm-hmm. and I know that obviously a lot of your interest lies within timber, but you'd certainly be more appropriate to talk about this than I would be, for example. So. I just want to understand a little bit about if that's true, if there is this sort of underground network, and if there is almost an element of what is described to me as trees talking to one another underground. Yeah, there's a, that's a really interesting concept. Um, again, it's not something that really sort of you, you think about when I'm drafting management plans for, for forests and stuff. But uh, when I was at university and when I was working in my last job at the estate, uh, it was something that came up a lot. So there's these things called mycorrhizal networks. Um, when trees uh, are planted or naturally regenerate in, uh, in new grounds, they form novel associations with a fungi in the soil. And these are, um, these are, this is a symbiotic relationship. So the tree gathers um, photosynthate. It produces you know, substances that can be used for metabolic reactions that it gains energy from the sun. And the, the fungi sort of bond to the tree's roots and they're supplied with this, what we call photosynthate. And in return, they help take up nutrients and water from the soil that help the trees grow. Wow. So it's a mutualist relationship. And when you get a forest, these mycorrhizal networks, they've produced, um, yeah, they produce networks between the trees. Then so uh, water and nutrients can transfer between trees. Which is really, it's, it's quite That's a crazy insane, thing. insane though, isn't yeah. it? Because it's just not what you think. You just think, well, you know, when I was, when we taught in like young school, you just see water comes down, tree absorbs, um, yeah. they get light from sun. But the fact that there's this like, in a lot of cases, this symbiotic network that exists underground yeah. between trees it's, and fungus. It's, yeah. it's crazy, you know? And people think of the yeah. fungus as just the little mushroomy bits, but it's that whole yeah. network underground, right? Oh, yeah. The the mushroom bits are just what we call the fruiting bodies. That's a, a tiny part of like this massive underground network uh, called the mycelium, I think it's called. But yeah. That's um, in Minecraft. It's, it's crazy. Is it? It is. There's oh. mycelium in Minecraft. So I th- I think if there's a take home from this episode is that it all comes back to Minecraft, whatever, <laughs> you know. I've never felt I'm twenty four, I've never felt fifteen like this before. <laughs> Good old days. No, um I, I think uh yeah, the, the, the mycorrhizal network is great and uh, there's so much there's so much research being done into it recently. Although it's not really something I think about much in my current role, I guess that um a species that has trees of a certain species in one location that have a mycorrhizal network between them, they'll have a benefit for growth, you know? Yeah. Uh, they'll um, they'll be able to dominate, really. And, uh, yeah, there's um, so it is interesting. There was one woman I heard who spoke about it, and she said that, she was speaking on TEDx, yeah. and she said that a, a mother tree can, through the mycorrhizal network, can identify its children trees and provide them with more nutrients than oh. the other trees around it, even if the even if the other trees are of the same species. Isn't that insane? That's really really cool. Yeah, that's uh, I I've not. I mean, that's that's way above like my uh, my intellectual cap to be honest. But that's is <laughs> it, I've definitely seen research that is super interesting. And um, I know that uh, a lot of the time, like the sort of basic mechanism of it is a sort of sink and source. So when there's a deficit in nutrients, then the trees will transfer nutrients that way where they've got surplus. But yeah, it's pretty interesting. Also, um, it's worth mentioning like trees, like a forest can be like a big organism in itself. So that like they treat new trees can uh, grow from the same root network. 
and uh, wow, they okay. can become yeah so you can have like a bunch of trees that you'll see on the ground but below they'll sort of but because of the root network below they'll essentially be one uh, organism. They have the same yeah they have the same dna fingerprint and so there's an argument to suggest that the biggest organism on earth is an aspen forest in colorado which basically <laughs> has yeah it basically has uh, all the trees in there have the same sort of genetic fingerprint and so underground they're the same organism wow so it's like it's like they're the yeah so if they have the same it's like they're the same tree yeah yeah but it's, it's all underground without all that's happening yeah absolutely so we spoke obviously about new woodland here and and some of that being within the timber industry are there also woodlands that are grown specifically looking at biodiversity uh yeah actually that's becoming a, a, a massive new thing really woodlands that are planted for the idea that they can grow into their own ecosystem some call it rewilding in the uk we uh, a lot of people are now planting uh native species they're coming up with schemes where they plant native species that they want to they want to grow into young forests and eventually mature forests that can um, become a self-sufficient ecosystem that'll support biodiversity and they'll help restore the woodland cover of the uk to what it would have been uh, after the last ice age when all these natural species started to grow uh basically wow, that sounds uh, like an ambitious goal it's an ambitious goal yeah like the woodland cover of the uk has basically been depleted since um the 11th century we bait we slashed it all down for farming and uh, for building uh, uh, settlements. But um, the idea is that we can, uh, some people who are into conservation, they, they'll have a plot of land, they'll plant native species. And the idea is that it'll, it'll create an ecosystem that will emulate um, what it would have been before we cut it down for development, for agriculture, for urban settlements, and that will attract the wildlife that it once did and support the same communities ecologically. That sounds like a gargantuan task, though, doesn't it? Because we've just spoken about, obviously, yeah. a lot of your work is terraforming, but on that scale, I mean, it's incredibly exciting. Yeah. But, wow, I, I certainly don't envy the people it's, who have to work in that industry. No, it's it's really, it's really, really hard getting a forest off the ground, especially a native one. There's so many, even though these species technically grow in the UK naturally, natively, uh, things like birch, oak, older species like that. They're, um, I'm telling you, that these new woodland creations uh, that my company works on can often be the most challenging uh, when they're planting with native species. So yeah, uh, but there's been a new incentive recently for people to get into that. Native woodlands or bro- uh, woodlands that are planted with broadleaf species, which are most often native uh, to the UK, there's a way of registering them through a thing called the Woodland Carbon Code, and essentially, if you design your forest and you have a, a if you have a viable planting and establishment plan, you can basically um you can basically go through a complex procedure which calculates how much carbon the forest is going to suck up over its lifetime through <laughs> photosynthesis. Okay. Yeah, and you can once you've got a, an idea of how many units of carbon that your forest will take up over say a hundred years. These um, units of carbon um, can be sold on an open market. Uh, they're given what? a value. Yeah, they're given. A, they're given. Um, people who uh, want to offset their carbon output can buy these carbon units. So, say my forest that I plant has, um, you know, a hundred of these provisional carbon units. If somebody says, uh, "Okay, I want to offset all these flights I've been taking around the world." If I, you know, pay for some of these units and support this forest, then I'll be essentially by proxy offsetting my carbon. Wow. And so, yeah, these carbon units uh, can be sold on an open market. 
as more people look to offset the carbon output, there's more demand for people to create these units that they can buy. And to create these units, to create a potential um, new woodland, they need, you need to plant new woodland. That's so, brilliant because yeah. it sounds, it's not, the, the comparison I'm going to draw uh, is obviously going to be probably nothing like it, but it does remind me so much of cryptocurrency, you know? And I'll right. tell you why, because there's the idea of, of, you know, people have to mine to get tokens, you know? They want to right. mine to get a certain amount of tokens and they can mine to get more of them. But it's almost like a, a similar game because there's obviously a certain amount of tokens in circulation, but you can get some of your own by actually, by not mining, it's almost the opposite, it's planting. Yeah. And then you, you can, can get some of your own. I would, yeah, I would argue that, I mean, a more hands-on proactive approach would be to plant one's own forest. Uh, yeah. Uh, to, I mean, that's, that's saying a lot because it's such a hard thing to do. Uh, the government can support planting new forests with grants uh, funding, with capital grants that really helps it get off the ground. And that's really, really important when we're creating new woodlands, like the government grants, I should say. But if you're planting your own woodland and you're like you're, you're managing it, you've got stewardship for it, you're taking care of it, then that could be that could go some way to offset your CO two output. But again, these new woodlands that have their CO two that have their carbon sink quantified, that's really important as well because people can say, okay, I may be out, I may be emitting this amount of carbon through my ventures, through my lifestyle. If I can, if I can pay for a certain amount of carbon units that's quantified, that's uh, verified, that's ready to go, then that's that's a good thing. And the more they do this, the more they're creating the uh, demand for people to plant these forests that they can then create carbon units from, that they can then sell. It's, so it's, uh, it's um, I guess, it's it's quite new. Uh, the carbon accounting team, the carbon investment team at my company is a, re- is a rel- relatively new venture, but it's a promising one. So I'm hoping it's going to take off leaps and bounds in the future. I think so, especially with the whole emphasis on, let's be honest, a lot of big business, at the end of the day, things come down to an economic perspective, right? Like that's what motivates a lot of companies, even if they have, you know, good intentions in mind. But to turn the the sort of upkeep and and, and savior of the British wildlife going forward, then to make that into an economic gaining model, then that's going to that's going to be brilliant for so many people because people are obviously going to want to invest in that. And it's way more rewarding, I have to say, if we're going to talk about modern things than, for example, something like an an NFT, right? Because not only could you be gaining some kind of token through it or or some kind of beneficial um, economic uh, advantage you're also creating something which is truly essential to the human uh, ability to not only be experience experience the world but also enjoy the world at the same time we, we need that natural balance so we i mean do. i, I i'm on i honestly love that uh, just to just to caveat that as well i've talked a lot about how the woodland carbon code is associated with these native forestry plant native forests are great for biodiversity as well but i should say that um commercially managed forests they lock up a lot of carbon because they grow quickly. It's just most often the case that the forests that are planted with native species uh, are the ones we most likely to get carbon income from, that we most like to sell the carbon units from, because they also have ecological benefits. And in the long term, a well-managed, broadly forest with a diverse range of species, there's lots of sort of scientific theories to suggest that stores and locks up a lot of carbon in the long term. So yeah, it's quite a contentious subject, but it's interesting. It's exciting as well, right? So I I, I love to hear I about so. that. I love to hear about these initiatives. Yeah, I hope it carries on as well. Me um, too, me too, me too. I also want to know more based off that and based on obviously the importance of, of this environmental push, we could say. Now, you're in, I think, to be in quite a privileged position to work, obviously, with wildlife, to work with nature 
And a lot of people in the modern age, they don't have that connection. You know, I work in marketing. You know, a lot of other people work in, you know, the nine to five, the office work. There's no real connection there to nature. You're up there in Scotland, you're head on, you know, despite the fact, obviously, a lot of your work is management, you still have to be there and you have to experience nature and you have to take part in the, uh, obviously, upkeep of that. I think I want to know, and what I'm getting to is, what has that done for you? as opposed to a few years before when you weren't in that industry, because you've clearly now got a passion for it. Has it been somewhat helped by being within nature? You know, has that potentially had some health benefits for you or, or mental benefits for you that you could expand upon? Oh, 100%. It's, I never really, I, I mean, when I was in like high school, uh, when I was a teenager, I, I wasn't super outdoorsy at all. And uh, even when I was at university studying forestry, I, I was I didn't really, I would honestly, I would be like at work, library, you know, gym, run along the beach home, you know, it was, it was pretty, it was, you know, I wasn't, a, I didn't have a big connection to nature, I regret to say. But now, I, but when I left university, I, um, uh, I started working on a state in England and I'd be out all day, all weathers, planting trees. And you start to notice there's a, a weird, undescribable, calming, soothing effect that being outdoors can have on you that just, you, you, you're, you're inside, you're sat at home, and there's a million things racing around your mind, and it just gets too much. You feel like tick, tick, boom, it's about to bu- bubble over. But then when you're outside, it just puts everything in perspective. When you're connecting with nature, when you're in the woods, it's crazy. And so even now, um, my, my day splits office, woods, you know, it's it can be a bit of both. But when, I'm, when I spend a day outside, it's just, and I get home at the end of the day, it's... Um, it's crazy beneficial. I can't explain why. And there's probably been countless yeah, studies. It just well, there is, isn't there? Right? It's like it's a psychological thing. It's it just is. being part of what it is to be man. You know, we're so used to having that nature around us for millions of years. You know, even six million years ago when we weren't even Homo sapiens. You know, it's just been a part of us growing up as a species. So I can imagine just being within it. You know, I've seen those studies too, and I'm really yeah. wrapped up in looking at studies and understanding health benefits of being in different areas. And you know despite the fact that we don't fully understand the mechanisms at play, why being in nature has such uh, soothing effects for people, it really does. And hence why, you know, I see a huge push nowadays online, not just to get out into nature, but also taking in part of things like grounding, you know, mm. meditation mm-hmm. as well. I think mm-hmm. that's a big, big thing because you're sort of focusing on the moment as opposed to the next piece of work you're on. Yeah. So yeah, I think despite the fact that I absolutely love the role I'm in, I definitely want to almost take a, take a, <laughs> take a leaf out of your book and uh, yeah, spend a little bit more time in nature, and I hope yeah. this this motivates others too as well. That's a hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, if it's a, I mean, I'm not like a super mad rock solid outdoorsy guy. You know what I mean? I like I like going out cycling on the weekends. I like going out walking on the weekends. But you know, I don't do any. I, I'm not into any sort of extreme outdoor sports. If you want to get outdoors more, just go to your local nature reserve. Even if you're in the uh, the most even if you're in the most populated um, place in England, they'll be there urban green spaces parks and or if you're if you want to venture out into the countryside go for it just be there walk about get some fresh air 100 percent. and yeah you'll you'll see if you're if you go to scotland or like uh, upland areas you'll see plenty of timber plantations but you'll see plenty of really biodiverse well ecologically managed forests alongside those two and the two work in perfect synergy with each other you know what there's a lot of work going on in both a lot of great work going on in both, I would say. And you might see Fraser's best friend, the deer. The deer, the yeah. The deer and the hare. 
<laughs> on the deer and the hare. I mean, so when I was at university, living in cities, when I was at home, I'd see a deer, but oh my gosh, it's beautiful. I want to stay there for, I want, I want to stay and watch it for hours. But now, deer, I live in Scotland, deer are everywhere, man. Like, they're just everywhere. That surprised me because I always just yeah. see them as like a creature that is kind of elusive, you know, oh, no. mystery like. You never really see them. They don't really, they just, I don't even, yeah. I don't even picture them eating. Like, you mentioned how they can disturb the trees. I just oh, picture no, them yeah. as these these once-in-a-lifetime creatures yeah i mean they're everywhere they're they they they're um they they are managed like a pest in scotland um to be honest if to be brutal like there's people who job it is whose um whose livelihood is to basically control these deer like a pest and so now when i see them they're still beautiful but i think oh God, they're eating all my trees. You know, <laughs> well, you heard the yeah. man, guys. If the, the message to take away from this podcast is to take a deer home with you, you know, save yeah. free to the hassle. Take it, <laughs> it yeah. It, uh, I'm not sure what the ethics of that are, but you know what? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> two messages. All right. To take two messages. Take good care of the deer, and it all comes back to Minecraft. <laughs> Okay, I I wanna I wanna wrap it up right there, but I do have to ask you one more question, just yeah. to just to uh, pull people in. So you know we've had a great time here talking about nature and talking about industry, and you know it's been such a great marriage of two different topics regarding nature that you know we don't really consider them being together or synergized. Now, if people have been inspired by the conversation that they've heard here today, are there any resources or areas that you recommend people look at, things that people could potentially do uh, to get them more involved in the natural world and even in the timber industry? Oh, definitely. So in terms of uh, your desktop stuff, sitting at home, I would recommend a couple, a few books I'd recommend. My favorites are by, by a guy called Oliver Rackham. So he was a, he's a sort of conservationist ecologist. He writes a lot about the history of the countryside and woodlands. And a lot of his work centered on England, if you're that way inclined, but it's absolutely beautiful. It reads, when you read something he's written, you just want to, you feel like you're in the wood. You feel like you're in a sort of a beautiful Arcadian paradise. And so I'd recommend that entirely. If you want to think about commercial forestry, uh, the timber industry at a glance, I mean, you know what, It's there's not as much um, as much prose literature written about it, but it's interesting if you're that way inclined. For example, uh, there's 1.57 billion in wood processing gross value added, and uh, 0.65 billion in forestry, which is my management industry uh, uh, added gross value added. So you know it's a big it's a big booming business. I would say, if you're interested in that, Google Forest Statistics. Um, it's a a website, a document published by um, a government institution, Forest Research, that basically collates in statistics about the timber industry, the forest that are plants in the UK. At a glance, if you're interested at all, that's just worth a look at. Yeah, it's where you'll find a lot of information about what commercially is going on. And uh, yeah, in terms of getting out and about, I would uh, just recommend... I would recommend staying away from my forest when I'm planning active <laughs> operations. I would re- please, I stress that to everybody uh especially the local residents they can join you they can join you for a pint afterwards oh i I, I encourage that to everybody yeah please 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 you 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 know where to find me uh but yeah please keep out of the forest when there's active operations going on but if there's a local forest if there's a community woodland if there's a, a woodland managed by the wildlife trust you know go there take it in yeah. soak up the soak up the nature if you like it there if you like the work they're doing volunteer there 
that's how you get experience and that's how you that's how you get a deeper love of the the woodlands that are nearby to you and that's how i'd uh that's that's all i'd say uh there's not much more i can i can offer in that respect yeah Oh, that's brilliant, Fraser. That's absolutely amazing. And and what I'll do is some of the things that you've mentioned there about references, I'll make sure that they're in the show notes below if you're on YouTube and if you're yes. listening to this on Spotify uh, or other other ones, I'll make sure to put it in the in the description as well. One last book I would recommend. It is called um, uh, Norbury Park, An Estate Tackling Climate Change. Uh, that's a book written about the estate I used to work on. Uh, oh, wow. Uni- okay, there you yeah, go. It's a, it's a beautiful book. I left university... I worked here, I planted trees all day, a lot of the time. It was, it's a beautiful place. And uh, they're doing a lot there to research into uh, new ways of managing woodland to combat climate change and uh, sustainably manage forests and tackle a lot of the issues we're facing in the future, both in the, the world of forestry and in general. So uh, yeah, if that's uh, linked in the description below or however this uh, however it goes, that'd be awesome, yeah. However, this new damn technology works. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you do, fellow kids? <laughs> <laughs> well, Fraser, yeah. uh, it's been incredibly lightning to have you on. Uh, I thank oh, you very much. Cheers. I mean, it, it's, it's been just as brilliant as I hoped it would be, and I've certainly learned a lot from it. I'll be making certain posts as well about it that you can see on my Instagram at Ben's Learning Lounge. You'll see some of the biggest takeaways that uh, at least I've took away from this podcast. And if there's anything else that you've learned as well from this podcast too, make sure that you uh, you let me know. Leave it in the comments. Leave it on yeah. the YouTube. You know. I'd be interested to hear what you took away because I've yeah. got a brain like uh, like a like a mouse, so I'm sure there are certain amazing things <laughs> that were said that I missed, or things that you can even add on to. You know, you might have experience in this yeah. industry yourself, in this country or another country, and I'd certainly want to hear it. And uh, I'm sure yeah, Fraser definitely. is always open to learn about things within the industry himself too. 100%. If any hot takes, feel free to DM me. I'll probably like be terrified of them and cry for a day, but you know what? It's all <laughs> it's all beneficial. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's been a, it's been the pleasure has been all mine, I should say, Ben. Thank you so much for inviting me on here, allowing me to chat about what I do for a good amount of time. Um, I mean, I live in the middle of nowhere, so this is probably the longest conversation I've had in months. <laughs> you know, yeah. So this is a yeah. I mean, it's a shame because me and Fraser are good mates, so I'm sure it won't yeah. be long until we can reunite and have a pint again. I'm sure soon. Yep. Thank you very much, Ben. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, thank you, mate. It's been a blast. Take it easy.